good morning, Carpenter's Way. Um, we have our new members. If you just want to know about Carpenter's Way, if you just want to know how everything runs, go ahead and head in there. If anybody's here wondering what time it starts, you need to go ahead and head that way. That's in the library if you are interested. Everybody else, let's get up on our feet. Let's find somebody and tell them good morning.
Good morning, everybody. It is uh, good to see you on this rainy Sunday in March. Uh, welcome to Carpenter's Way. If you are visiting with us, we are awfully glad to have you here. We have a large group of folks who are in Dallas this weekend uh, at a wedding, and others are doing our new members class, and so uh, you get a private message time. And uh, we're, gl we're glad to have you here. If, uh, if you are visiting with us this morning, um, thanks for being here. If you're watching on the internet visiting with us, we're glad to have you joining us. We find ourselves in the last chapter of 1 Timothy in our study, chapter 6. And so if you brought a Bible and you're in your living room and you got a Bible near you, you want to turn there and I'll get, I'll get with you a little bit later. But uh, we want you to worship with us this morning and enjoy the worship music. And, and uh, I had forgotten you wrote that song. That's a pretty good song. You should write once in a while. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You never clap for me. You don't even. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody completely removed the joy of that clap just then. If you're on the internet and didn't hear it, it's none of your business. Come join us in person. All right, would you take your worship guides out? Let's, uh, let's review a few, uh, a few things for you coming up. I want to remind you that the insert in here, the, uh, usually the orange inserts are uh, prayer guides, so we can be praying for each other. If you'd like to keep up uh, much quicker on things going on, we encourage you to download the app for your smartphone if you have one. Uh, those have been, we've been having a lot of requests going through there, and you can actually punch it and tell them you're praying for them and keep up with what's going on during the week. Uh, it doesn't matter what uh, your smartphone uses, whether it's an Apple or uh, uh, Google or whatever kind of Windows phone. There's an app for each of those uh, formats. Uh, and if you need help with that, you can call the office, and we'd be glad to help you. But we want you to uh, make sure you have that. I want to mention to you, if you're interested in being Baptist, Baptist. Because <laughs> no. we're not Baptist. <laughs> we are. Oh, that's funny. Uh, if you're interested in being baptized. Uh, we have a couple people going to be baptized uh, March 12th, so uh, if you'd like to, uh, if you're ready and, and that's something you'd like to do, if you'd make contact with us, we'd, we'd love to have you a part of that. Baptism has nothing to do with being Baptists, so let me add that, but that's a different discussion for a different day. Um, this Thursday night is TNT, so there's some notes in there about that. Uh, Chad already mentioned that we have our new members class going on. Carpenter's Way 101 is the way you find out more information on how we're structured, how we do leadership. Um, how we make decisions. And uh, if that's something you're interested, you could make, as Chad already mentioned, why don't you just sneak out, get yourself a cup of coffee, make your way into the library. You'll get to meet all the leaders of the church over the next few hours, and you'll, we'll go through why we, what we believe, um, how we make decisions, how our leadership structure is. Uh, you don't have to become a member if you join that class, but it's a great way to find out why we do what we do, and, and we'd love to have you join us. Or we do them quarterly, so uh, if today's not your day, there'll certainly be one in the future. Um, take, make sure you take some time. There's a women's event coming up. Uh, and I also want to mention men. We have our men's uh, picnic coming up. Uh, and we'll be giving more information out on that coming up as well in the next few weeks. So be watching your worship guides and the internet and all. Uh, if I could have our uh, ushers come forward at this time, we will prepare for our offering. If you are visiting with us this morning, this is the one part of the service we ask you not to participate in. This is for those of us who attend here regularly. We have committed to uh, our budget. Uh, the money. Uh, it goes towards supporting missionaries that we support all across the globe. We participate with the Southern Baptist Convention International Mission Board. Uh, they have about uh, 7,000 missionaries globally that we support through our giving. Uh, we have 14 missionaries 
specifically that Carpenter's Way supports here in the states and elsewhere, and it goes to take care of business here with our staff and, and our folks. So uh, that's what our offering goes for. And again, if you're visiting, this is not for you. This is for those of us who have committed to being here each week, and, and God's uh, using it in our lives. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll go on with our worship and our time in the Word. Father, we love you, and thank you that we can gather here together to tell you that, to be reminded of your love for us. Lord, we thank you for those who are watching on the Internet this morning. We pray that this would be an encouragement to them. Father, for those who are in this room, we pray that, you would, um, that we would just sense the peace that comes when your children gather. Uh, I ask for those who are traveling back this morning from Dallas, we thank you for, uh, Lord, the wedding that took place this weekend. and um, We pray that you would, Father, uh, just, just bless the Ferguson family, the new Ferguson family. Father, we, the new Allen family, we pray that you would bless them. We pray that their marriage would reflect your value system. We, we just ask, Lord, that you would go before them and that everywhere they go, they would know, people would know that they walk with you. Lord, I, I, I thank you for the privilege of raising children. Father, I thank you for the privilege of getting old with adult children. And I pray, Lord, that we would be as faithful as grandparents as we are as parents. God, uh, I pray for your spirit to have free reign in this place today. Lord, I, I pray this morning for other churches in this community that will be opening the word in the next hour or two. We pray for Harmony and pray for John as he, as he will open his word, and we pray you'll bless him. And, Father, for Randy at Southside, that you will use him this morning in a powerful way to draw people to yourself. And we pray for First Assembly or Timber Creek, that you'd bless them. That you would use them to draw men to yourself. And God, there's, there's, so, many, there's so many people in this community this morning that are going to hear about you. And it is your spirit that transforms. And I pray that the, the power that raised Christ would live in this community in the lives of your, your, your sons and daughters. And we just want to be a part of that, Lord. We just want to be a part of that. So speak to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Worthy of all of my prayers 
Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even the youth grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run. They will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not be faint. Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood 
and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Sing that again, my hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. Trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. O oh, Christ the Lord, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love and through the storm. He would stand and sing this last song with us.
That's a dangerous prayer to pray. Do what you want to do. He will. He will. There's a story that I want to read you this morning from, uh, that Luke tells from Acts 19, and it's uh, a little lengthy, and I'm not going to put it on the screen. I just want you to listen to it. It is, uh, the reason it's significant is because this is the story of the birth of the church in Ephesus. And for those of you who are just joining us now, uh, I want you to know we're in Timothy. First Timothy, we'll be wrapping it up in the next couple weeks, and then following, we're going to go into Second Timothy. But uh, the letter is by Paul, written to young Pastor Timothy, who's been sent to lead uh, the church in Ephesus. So uh, this is how that church was founded. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. They replied, it was the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, referring to Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all that day. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. The the name the way is what the church was first called in the New Testament. Um, That makes sense because if you recall, uh, Jesus Christ said, I am the way. So these were followers of the way. It wasn't called Christians at this point. They were called followers of the way. So Paul left the synagogue and they took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. In fact, when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, in fact, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantations, saying, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out of them. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time they tried it, and the evil spirit replied, we know Jesus, and I know Paul even, but who are you? Sorry, I I find that funny. Then the men with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, attacked them, and with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus. So the Jews and Greeks alike heard, a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at the public bonfire. The value of the books was actually several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had powerful effect. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going on to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go to Rome. He sent two assistants, Timothy 
and Erastus ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a little while in the longer uh, a little while longer in the province of Asia. About that time though, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines for the Greek goddess Ar- uh, Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with uh, others <clears throat> and empowered them in similar trades and addressed them as fellows, as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. <clears throat> but as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods really aren't gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm concerned that the, that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess, worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. Just a side note, if you have to defend your God, he or she is not much of a God. I think that every time I go to Target and I see Buddha on sale for 50% off, it just strikes me that if you have to be sold at a half-off sale, that's funny right there, okay. (laughs) At, At this, their anger boiled and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon, the whole city was filled with confusion. Everybody rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and uh, Erasticus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. Most of them didn't even know what they were yelling about. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. At last, the mayor who was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everybody knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this, since this is an undeniable fact, uh, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, let the courts, uh, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are compa- uh, complaints about other matters, they can be settled in legal assembly. I'm afraid we're in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them and they dispersed. When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. The reason I read that long uh, story is because I want you to understand that nothing has changed but technology. This community, this Roman community we know as Ephesus, was a mess. It was total chaos from uh, rising up against uh, Christianity because it was ruining the God business, which was making enormous amount of money for, for craftsmen there, to not even know why they're rioting. It sounds like a lot of the riots going on today. Have you watched some of the interviews of these people? Most of them, like some, there was some survey, 68% didn't even vote, but they're rioting. We're not going to let him do his thing. It's crazy. People have always been nuts. They always have. 
And remember when we started this study of First and Second Timothy and also Thessalonians, one of the things I said is that God breathes order into chaos. Satan, Scripture tells us, is the God of chaos. He wants chaos. That's where he thrives. God is the God of order. And too often, the church actually invites the chaos of the world inside of the ark we call the body of Christ, and it creates chaos in the family. And so Paul, to bring, after, after a while, this church was a mess. The public debate and confusion that had always been Ephesus from the beginning of the church had actually made its way into the church, so Paul sends a young companion of his, a disciple. He sends a young pastor by the name of Timothy into the church to lead, to direct them out of chaos. And if we aren't careful, if we don't know why why we're here, just like the church of Ephesus, if we don't know what our message is, we too will end up in chaos, just like the church of Ephesus. So Paul sends Timothy in. And then he writes him two letters to help him know how to lead. 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And we have been reading and studying this letter together that was written to a church that had let all of that out there begin to invade her and make her way into the family gathering. And Paul sends him there to help remind them that they are not the children of Rome, but they're the children of God. And therefore, the only leader of the body of Christ is not your pastor or your uh, preachers or your elders. It's Jesus Christ. And it's the job of the leaders to not figure out how to do it well, but to make sure that Jesus Christ remains in control of his church. And even good evangelical churches today has forgotten that. Pastors are coming up with creative message series. Elders are trying to find bigger ways, ways of growing the church, forgetting that God is the author of not just growth, but spiritual growth. It is our job to make sure that we maintain the truths of Scripture. This church had left that. You remember when we started this series, we, we learned that inside of the church, there were false teachers beginning to teach the philosophies of the day inside of the body, claiming that that represented truth. And what was happening is while the preaching was taking place, the elders weren't standing up for truth. And then the men and the women in the congregation began screaming, arguing with them during the preaching, during the teaching. And the women who had never been trained in spiritual things are screaming at their husbands across the room trying to figure out what's going on. It had broken into chaos. And so Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, tells him instructions for the church. And they're very specific. He teaches Timothy how the men and the women are to uniquely serve God within the body. He tells Pastor Tim how he as a shepherd is supposed to handle himself, how he's supposed to speak to older men and older women, how they were just supposed to relate to each other. He instructs him, on how, instructs him on how to choose deacons, deaconesses, and elders. He teaches them how to deal with those in need in the congregation, specifically addressing the issue of widows. And last week in our study, we learned uh, even how Paul instructed Timothy how to deal in the flock with those who are frustrated with their station in life, specifically referring to those who were in slavery. You need to understand The problems within this church were a direct result of getting off message. There are lots of good things you can talk about in the church, but if you get off message, you open the door for all kinds of confusion, opinions. And that that hasn't changed in 2,000 years. The minute we stop preaching God's word, we open the door to somebody smarter, better, 
with more degrees after their names, opinions. There's always somebody a little smarter. But when you follow the word of God, it is God himself that is communicating truth to us, and we are safe. You have to understand, we are God's family. We are God's children. He is our daddy. Therefore, it is our job to make sure that his way are done in his house. This is his. It's why we don't have a flag on the stage. This is not a small piece of the United States. This is a small piece of the kingdom of heaven. And don't you ever forget it. Because we can fix any problem if we stay focused on our dad. But the minute we begin to decide what we're going to do politically, how we're going to do it politically, what needs to happen in this country or in this community, the minute we take our eyes off of Jesus, guess where our eyes are going to be? Anywhere but Jesus. And anywhere but Jesus enters chaos. It enters chaos. There is a story that I I told a few years ago about uh, a gentleman and his daughter that were taking a country drive in the spring. And as they went through the roads, the hilly roads of East Texas, his daughter was strapped in her seat in the back and the windows were down and she starts screaming. And he looks in his rear view mirror and he sees in front of his daughter a bee landing on her nose and flying around. And there's nowhere for him to stop. So he reaches back and he starts swiping around and then he says to his little girl as he's still driving, it's okay, honey, it's okay. It's okay, sweetheart. But she's still screaming because she still thinks the bee is around. In fact, she can still see it buzzing. And he opens his hand. He says, look in my hand, sweetie. Look in my hand. And in the middle of his palm is the stinger. The bee is still fluttering, but the stinger is in his hand. But to that little girl, there's still danger because the sound is scary enough. And I want to make it clear to you this morning before I get into today's text that there is a lot of buzzing around this place, not Carpenter's Way, but in this country and in this world right now that sounds scary. But I want you to know what Jesus did on the cross took the stinger. Death's sting is gone for you. Death's sting is gone. It is noise and Satan is using it to distract us. Jesus Christ is not Republican. He is not Democrat. He is, not, he, he, is, he is the king of the universe, came to save anybody who wants to be saved. Gay or straight, fat or skinny, rich or poor, slave or free. And we have allowed in our culture, much like in Ephesus, we have allowed the message of the church to be hijacked, maybe by good things, but not God's things. And that's what happened in, in Ephesus, and it's happened here. And that's why this is such a powerful study for us. Because we can never, ever forget. And this is being heard now in evangelicalism. There are people who actually believe that they are wise for no longer being in the word because they can be more loving like Jesus if they don't read it. How insane have we become? The word of God. That's what the second letter is going to be about. God's word. But the first letter is about understanding that we are God's kids and he is the senior pastor and our job is to function in the lanes in which he created us to function. Men, women, elder, deacon, deaconesses, Sunday school teachers, shepherds, servants, whatever. We function in those roles. And I want to remind you this morning as we start, and he was trying to remind them that Satan cannot have their souls. So all he was trying to do was distract their attention now off of their daddy. And the tasks... And the message that he has given us, they are easily lost 
If we spend our time obsessing over secondary doctrines, political and social issues, our station in life in this planet, the frustrating people that, that, that are, we are called to serve as pastors, and generally life on this planet. I just want to warn you this morning that as the world and our country gets more div divided, our fight is not to fix the world. Our fight is to keep that from creeping into this boat. That is our fight. Our fight is to leave our political agenda at the door and to come in here to learn God's agenda. And there's nothing wrong with being political out there as long as it doesn't take away from your real citizenship, which is a citizenship in heaven. And too many times, even from pulpits, we keep acting like this great savior of the church is going to be a political movement. And I'm here to tell you that politics will do nothing but distract us. Jesus Christ is the savior of the church. She, he was... He is, and he forever more shall be the Savior of the church. Amen. Don't forget that. More on that in Paul's second letter. But in, in, in chapter 6, where we find ourselves this morning, I actually believe that these next few verses today are the meat of what he wanted to write. Everything he writes up to this point are specifics for Ephesus, but he writes this so that they can hear this. And, and, and we're about to go. 1 Timothy 6.3. And I, uh, Chad and I were talking early in the week, and I got to tell you, I almost grabbed the microphone this morning, read it, and just dropped it. It's so clear. It is so clear. So forgive me if I do that later, but I, I, I actually can't do that because there's too much cool stuff to say. 1 Timothy 6.3, teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. If you want to know what these things he's referring to are, you got to read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, through 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2. I, I just, look, even our preaching today is taking you out of the context of Scripture. you got to read it in its context. Every, every verse is written within a paragraph that's written within a section, which was written within a letter. you got to understand the letter if you're going to understand a verse. One of the examples of this is, is John 3, 16. We all know that. We all memorize it as children in VBS or in children's church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. But verse 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to seek and save that which is lost. Do you realize if we would have memorized those two verses together, it would have changed our approach to the lost. The church is forever condemning the lost as if that'll get them saved. What the church needs to understand is God has incredible compassion for them as lost. And so does the church. We are not at war with the gay agenda or those who address it. We are not at war with, with, uh, with even um, people, abortion doctors. We are here to tell them that Jesus Christ came to save them. But we act so mad all the time. What are we mad at? There is always somebody who is offended by the sin that you choose to engage in. But let me tell you something. Since we're not the Savior, we shouldn't be offended at sin. We should be chasing the sinner. That's why he left us here. That's why you can't be here every day of the week. Our job is to send you out. That's your mission field out there. You come in to be encouraged. It's my job to remind you that it is still well with your soul. And you are where you are because God placed you in a mission field. You just sang a song, I surrender all. Think about the ramifications of that. You surrender even your right to be treated the way you think you should be treated. You're surrendering your right if you sing that to God, saying that you are trustworthy. You're surrendering your right to be rich. 
You're surrendering your right to, to be the owner of your company. You're surrendering your right to be the pastor of your church. You're surrendering your right to God's will. You're saying, whatever you want to do, that's what I want to do, even if I don't like it in this life. And for those of you who have never really studied scripture, I want to remind you that that little girl Mary who married that older guy Joseph, their dreams were to have a life together. God ruined those dreams by allowing her to be the mother of God. They end up living in Egypt most of their lives because Rome wanted to kill him. They have to go for a census to Bethlehem because that was the prophecy that was, had to be fulfilled. She just wanted to give children to this dude. He just wanted to have a family that would continue the tradition of carpentry. But God said, I've chosen you for this. Her pain was real. But it was the fulfillment of God's plan. When, when God knocked Paul off his camel and blind him, and then takes him into Damascus and then says, I have called you. He said, I have, I have to tell this guy how he's going to suffer and serve me. When he meets with Peter a week after the resurrection, he tells Peter that there was a day, I read this to you last week, there was a day when you could choose what to wear and where to go. But now that day is over. I want to tell you that our moment of joy is coming, but it is not coming in this life. There is peace in the journey. There is joy in the journey. In fact, Ecclesiastes, it seems to be my kid's favorite verse now. Anna quoted it to a teacher this week. I advise you, Solomon said, to eat, drink, and have fun because the work of the Lord is hard. When it's the 4th of July, blow your fireworks. Shoot your gun in the air. No, don't shoot your gun in the air. <laughs> eat an extra hamburger. It's okay to have a good day with your family. Take them to Cracker Barrel and pretend you're in the deep south. We are in the deep south. Enjoy, have a good afternoon, watch NASCAR. What's not to enjoy? You can sleep, you can watch the end and the beginning, it's great. They've been listening, Anybody, are any NASCAR fans here? You know why they broke the races up? Because they heard I was sleeping during the middle of laps. That's for the NASCAR people. Listen, I want you to understand something. Life here, it's an adventure. It's not a safe adventure, except that you know what happens when it's over. Our hope is in the Lord who has made heaven and earth. We have no, our eyes, our mind have no idea what he has planned for those of us who earnestly seek him. But we're also trying, and we learn this in James, we're trying so hard to find our meaning in this life. Your meaning has been placed in the king of kings. And if we could get to that point, which is our struggle, if we can get to that point, then these things will start to make sense. If we store up for ourselves treasures where moth and thief and rust don't destroy, we will find our hope not like this, but consistent because our hope is in something that can't be robbed of us. Does that make sense? But too often, you come into church and you are reminded of your sinfulness. Next time that happens, I want you to raise your hand and say, okay, that's why I'm here this morning. Remind me now of God's grace. Remind me now of how good I am in Christ. You are declared holy and righteous with God. You don't need to be reminded how sinful you are. You know that. If you don't know it, the Holy Spirit's sure gonna remind you. The second thing is, you need to be reminded that you're on task, and the task is hard. Look at the New Testament church. It gets crazy, it gets dirty, it gets muddled up. 
But God, if we keep focused on him, brings us back. So he tells him, teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey, uh, to obey them. Just a summary of them, and I really want you to read them for yourself so that you can internalize them. Some, some of the, he, he teaches them to stay in your lane as they engage God's family within the local body. He, he instructs them on how to pick leaders. I've already told you that. He instructs the shepherds on their responsibility. And he instructs on, them on how to interact and even talk with each other and deal with each other's needs. And then 1 Timothy 1.15 reminds us of the message, the central message. Look at this. Here it is. This is the message of the church. Read it with me. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Does that include Democrats and Republicans and gays and straights and transgenders? Well, very good. You didn't lower on that one. It includes the insane. I didn't ask a question. I told you that one. It, it, includes, it includes the guy who wears his pants down here. It includes the person whose car hops. It, inc- <laughs> I, I, it happens. It's kind of cool. It includes the guy who on the motorcycle cuts you off in traffic. And you want to say, I'm going to put you all over my hood. Not that I've ever done that. It includes your neighbor that builds a fence six inches onto your property. It includes the waitress that doesn't bring you enough tea at Cracker Barrel. It includes your spouse that doesn't treat you the way you deserve to be treated. If she only knew what a good husband I am. It includes you who look in the mirror or wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning going, I am living a lie. The good news of the church is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Just like you. It's the only message of the church, you guys. The message of the church is not a political message. It's, 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 not a, it's not a doctrinal message. How do you baptize somebody two times forward, three times back? Do we use wine or, 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 or grape juice for communion? That's not the message of the church. The message of the church is Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Try telling people that. I know it's scary because the next question is, so he wants to save me? Can we just take a moment and pray? I really want to pray for us as a church. Father, I pray that you would help us to get on message and stay on message. Father, my prayer for Carpenter's Way is not that we get bigger. Not that we get richer. Not that we get uh, more famous in this town, but my prayer is, Father, that we would just start to see the people in our community as people we care about because you care about them, as people who need your forgiveness. There's an awful lot of Christians here in this community that have never experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would allow us the privilege of not building a church, but building the church of Jesus Christ. So keep us on message. Keep our leaders focused on you. And I pray that as we enter this place and we leave this building, that we would be a people of hope. In your name we pray, amen. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5 says this, teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Summary statement. Come on, dude. It's your task. He's wrapping up his letter. Some people may be contradicting our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings that I've just given you, they promote godly life. 
You ever wonder what God, you know, how to have a godly life? Now you know. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 through 1 Timothy 6, verse 2. It's right in there. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. Hold on. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. I got to do that because we, we don't have that much money at Carpenter's Way. <laughs> did, did you look at that last line? You've always thought that. You've always thought that. Not just for you, but for them. They act godly because that's how they get rich. And they tell you to act godly so you can be rich like them. All you got to do is have more faith. That's how you release God's blessings. And for those of you going, preach it, preacher, those health and wealth doctrine pastors, I'm talking about Baptist preachers who teach the same thing. God will fix your marriage. And what if he doesn't? Are you coming to God because you're going to get something? Or are you coming to God because he's worthy of coming to? I mean, we constantly, as evangelical conservatives, are promising you things God doesn't promise you, and that's a problem. Because you know what happens? Is when you don't get it, we blame you. Well, your faith isn't great enough. Have you fully committed? Are you still struggling with sin? Well, that's a dumb question. Everybody struggles with sin. My illusionist, deceitful son... I can't give away his act. But let me just tell you, there is a way to get a person to think just about anything you want them to think. You just got to keep drilling. Eventually, you'll find oil. It's how it works. If you're good at manipulating people, you can manipulate anybody. And I'm telling you, there are people who mount the pulpit every week in the name of God that want nothing to do with God and don't even know they want nothing to do with God. What they want everything to do with is a great life in the name of God. And that's not always how it works. Paul just said that if you desire, in in these verses, three through five, that if you desire to live a godly life as defined in Scripture, not defined by Christian political hacks or legalists or people who want your money and are using Jesus' name just to get in your wallet, that you need to rethink, reread, think on and pray on 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 through 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2. These are the teachings that promote a God-life like. God-like life. What else is happening religiously in this church that doesn't promote a godly life? He explains that too in verses 4 and 5. Look with me. Anyone who teaches something different than what I've just taught is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Wow. I, I want to point something out about preaching. I, I've been doing this 33 years now, so I'm pretty good at picking out good preaching and bad preaching. Just so that you know that I'm an equal opportunity slammer, a good preacher can teach you something in 20 minutes. Those of us that aren't so gifted take 45. You want to know who the best, best doctrinal teachers are? Hymnists. It's incredible what they can teach you in four minutes. I'm amazed at Chad's gifts. 
He could write something in a song for three or four minutes, but he takes a long time to prepare it and to perfect it. But it is amazing the truths that are laid out in the songs. But the fact is, the fact is that there are a lot of people who don't know what they're talking about. If you want to know if they know what they're talking about or not, if they don't know what they're talking about, here's a clue. They're going to take you to an Old Testament story that has nothing to do with the New Covenant. They're going to use that story. Usually it's about a seed offering, and they're going to get you to believe something about your lack of faith. If you will do what so-and-so did in the Old Testament, God promises to treat you just like he treated them. Then they're going to take a weird verse out of uh, Ezekiel and maybe one out of Hezekiah, and they're going to throw it in there in the mix, and they're going to take a word that's Hebrew that they've never studied, and they're going to tell you what that Hebrew word means to convince you that their message is right. It's going to end with an altar call that involves you giving more money. Why? Because they don't know how to take six verses and explain what it says in the context because they're not teaching scripture. I used to, I, I still am, I'm a huge fan of John MacArthur. I appreciate his study techniques. I've learned a, a, month, a bunch from him. If you don't know John MacArthur, doesn't matter. But in my last church, I was a fan and I had a guy in my church that had every message he ever preached. John MacArthur's ministry would call him when he needed one from the old days. He had cassette tapes and eight-track tape players and he'd send them off and and, uh, and I remember sitting with him one day, and I said, you know, where did you get all of these? And he says, man, I just, I just heard John MacArthur once preach, and I was looking at the verses he was preaching, and I said, I just can't get that out of that verse. If I could get one thing out of the verse, like he gets five things, I would just be so much happier with my life. And it was at that point that I realized that maybe John MacArthur isn't teaching the scripture. Now, I know John MacArthur. He's a godly guy. I trust John MacArthur. But if we're going to say that this thing speaks to the person, then it should speak to you. And it was at that moment that I began the process of rereading the scriptures to make sure that everything I taught you could read for yourself. If you leave on a Sunday morning, you know, we always make a joke as pastors that, that uh, give people two or three days and they won't remember the message. I, I don't have a problem with that because what I say is irrelevant. I will tell you this. If you can't go back to Sunday's text and read it, just forget it. It's what God says that matters. It's what God says that matters. I'm a herald of his truth. And, and some of you are looking for a church, and I'm here to beg you, don't, don't, don't find a church where a guy is eloquent in speech or can quote a, a doctor or each week has a new philosophy. Go to a church that points you to Jesus. He is the senior pastor. Well, I think my church is pointing me to Jesus. If you're not convinced, if every message doesn't begin and end with Jesus the center, if Jesus is part of the corollary circle, if he's not the center of the circle, then you're not teaching the truth. It may be good stuff. But it's not the truth. Getting you angry about abortion may be accurate and even moral, but it has nothing to do with saving abortion doctors. There is a point at which we have to remember that our job in this world is an uncomfortable one, and we are here to minister to those who offend us, not just those who get along with. It is too easy to come together and build churches where you can work out here and have your kids in education system here and we've got, we've got a, a thing for mechanics to go to our church here and we could actually live our week doing everything just with believers. That is absolutely the opposite of why God left us here. We are here to reach the lost. Jesus Christ spent time with immoral, bankrupt people, tax collectors, thieves, prostitutes, people who are an absolute mess, and Jesus was clear when he said, do as I did. Do as I did. So pastor, you, you want me to hang out with people like that? I not only want you to hang out with people like that, I want them in your house. You need to go to their house. Well, they drink too much. You don't have to drink, ask for coffee. 
I, I don't want to be like them. They'll rub off on me. That's why we have the church. That's the picture of washing each other's feet so that when they rub off on you and you get a little dirty, you come in here, we wash your feet, and we send you back out to have more friends that are bankrupt. That's what we're here for. That's me throwing a tantrum. You, you, you need to be at the movies. I grew up in a culture that told me, don't go to movies, don't listen to any secular music, <clears throat> go to the concerts, go spend time with them. They're dirty, yeah, yes. And you know the one who cleans people up. This is what we do. And then we come together to be reminded that it is good. This is where we come and it's safe and God gives us order and, and it's, it's a place that we're reminded that God is good so we can go back out and get beat up for a few days and get tired. Don't believe Fox News. You're not losing. The body of Christ can't lose. Our victory was won on the cross. I like Fox News. I just don't believe their religious rhetoric. There is no condemnation for those who are hidden in Christ. We not only will win, we not only are winning, we already have won. We just believe the secular lie that we're losing. If they impeach your president next month or your president lost three months ago, I got news for you, nothing changed. Your king is still on the throne. Well, what if they outlaw Christianity? In most countries, it is outlawed. More Christians were martyred last year and arrested, more persecuted, they say, than any other time in the history of the world. Why shouldn't we join them? Well, we should fight it with the best of our ability. Knock yourself out. That, how's that working for you? How about taking some of them with you? and women we can't lose we just go home that bee is making noise but the stinger is gone and it's time for us to embrace that but to do that we've got to remind each other every week no matter how crazy the noise gets out there that we're safe in here because our daddy our senior pastor is the king of kings lord of lords pastor of pastors mayor of mayors, judge of judges. He is the one seated on his throne, high and lifted up. Well, he's there. No, he's not. His Holy Spirit's in here. He's here with you now. And I know some of you are wondering how you're going to pay the mortgage. He knows that too. He knows that too. He's good. He's good. There are people who are arrogant, teaching in the church, who lack understanding. They have an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. It stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions, things like Calvinism versus Arminian. These people are always causing trouble. Wow. Their minds are corrupt. What? You're talking about religious leaders, pastors, and they have turned their back on the truth. The truth. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. When you hear the word turning your back on the truth, it doesn't mean that they're saying Jesus Christ didn't die or he didn't come to save sinners. It means that they've turned their back on that message and they're talking about everything but that. And let me tell you something, we don't just teach that for the lost. The saved need to be reminded that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. You don't need to be reminded anymore of your sin. You need to be reminded of his goodness, of his message, of his hope, of his peace. 
to them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy, successful, whatever, fill in the gap. Wow. You want to know what a real godly looks, life looks like and feels like? Look at verses 6 to 8 with me. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Isn't that at the heart of every fight you've ever been in or every frustration you've ever felt? I'm not getting what I deserve. And I want to include not just in the world, in the church. I deserve more hymns. I deserve a better drywall work on the wall of our worship center. I deserve to worship in a... Some of our visitors are looking around. Don't look at our walls. Stare up here. Look up here. Look at this. The fact, the fact is that we are here together in here because my living room won't fit you, but we're the family of God gathering on a regular basis to remind each other that it is finished, it is well with our soul, now let's go out there and die for Christ. Well, how do all those things work together? When you put your wealth there, you can do that. Well, this life, though, you only live once. That's a lie. You live twice, and the other one's going to be a really wealthy life. If we have enough food and clothing... Let's be content. How much tea is enough? How much Coke do you deserve over your pizza? How much room on the highway should you be given before you can get angry at the driver in front of you? And how many miles over the speed limit should you be allowed before that stupid cop pulls you over and interferes with your life? How much talent do you deserve from the pulpit? How much talent do you deserve from a worship team? How many hymns do you think we should sing before we're really doing God's work? How much health do you deserve with the body that God owns? How do you deserve to be treated by your spouse that obviously doesn't appreciate you the way they should? How much should they appreciate you? How much appreciation should your boss show how many times a day should they say thank you i'm lucky to have you we can keep going the fact is if we have enough food and clothing we should be content because god's our lord how much of a moral government do you deserve forgetting what we deserve seems to me that they act just like the country in washington Contentment. True godliness isn't wealth proving God's blessings on your life. It's contentment that, he's, that you trust in what he's given you already. That's great wealth. Not selfish living. In case you're not clear, God is, uh, Paul is calling out all prosperity preaching, whether it's about money or having the marriage you think you deserve or the kids you deserve. Division, divorce, social battles, church division. It's all us talking about what we think we deserve more of, and it's time for us to put our fixation and focus and obsession on Jesus Christ. Serve in our lane. Grow. Take care of each other. Make sure that everybody we know, especially those who offend us, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Here is a question that you have to answer in your heart. 
Is God enough for you? Or do you demand more than he has already done? Because that is at the core of the division in churches. That's at the core of division in communities. That's at the core. That's at the core. You and me demanding our rights. Well, preacher, that's easy for you to say. You're the pastor. I'm accountable. I'm accountable for seeking the Lord with our elders as to whether or not Carpenter's Way Church is being led by elders or by Jesus Christ. I'm accountable for that. I will stand before the Lord and he will say, you did a really good job screwing up your church, but it was supposed to be mine, preacher. It's supposed to be mine. I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, and for those of you who are visiting, let me talk to you for a second. This has been a conversation about the local church. This is actually a conversation on, uh, Bill, will you put that uh, slide up there for me, please, of the series title? This is about this thing we do being personal and not business. It's not a business. Our job is not to raise more money. Our job is to spend every penny you give us on the work of the Lord, here and elsewhere. Our job is to make sure that when you come in here, you are reminded of God's saving grace because even Christians need to be reminded that God's grace is still sufficient for them even though they're saved because there's a mentality, an underspoken rule in the church that says God loved you when you were really messed up before salvation, but you better not screw up now. And I'm here to tell you that he not only allows you to be screwed up, he knew you were screwed up when he saved you in the first place. And then I ask, how's it working for you to live in the flesh? And everybody laughs and says, not real well. Well, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to live in the flesh anymore. You don't have to. But it will cost you everything. Anger, frustration. To be there, you've got to be content in what he's given you. Where your location is in the church. Your office in your family. How you're treated. How much money you have. That's been the whole focus of this letter. You guys are acting like the world. Now go get him, Pastor Timothy. And Timothy goes in, and he gets freaked out, so Paul tells him to drink a little wine, so he calms down. Because you know what? We're all just doing the deal, and we're all a little freaked out, and we're all here to remind each other it is well with our souls. Can we bow our heads as we close in prayer? I want to give you a second to talk to God. Just, just you and him. I'm going to read the end of this section to you real quick, and then I want you to talk to him. True godliness with contentment itself is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Verse 8. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. What areas of your life right now, in the body of Christ, out of the body of Christ, what areas of your life are you not content with? I want you to take that thing that God has put in your heart and I want you to give it to him. Help me. I'm not asking you to never struggle with it again. I'm simply saying, God, help me to be content in that area. Name that area to him. Give it to him. You are his children. He wants to talk with you. Talk with him. He wants to talk to you right now. Talk to him. While you talk to him, I want to talk about to those of you who don't know him. I want to ask you one question if you're not his child this morning. 
Are you happy with how things are laying out? How's it working for you? I am here to tell you that God wrote himself into the history of mankind in the person of Jesus Christ so that you can find hope in him. You don't have to be Baptist to be his kid. Just tell him you know you're a sinner and he's the only one that can save you from the mess. Cry out to him. Lord Jesus, thank you for not sending us to hell despite us deserving it. Thank you for not giving up on us despite having plenty of reason. Thank you for writing this letter through Paul to Timothy and the people of Ephesus so that 2,000 years later we could read it and realize that we have become a divided people between God and the world and that we want more than you promised and that we need to learn contentment in you alone. Make us content in you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us hear from your spirit that lives within us today as we leave this place that we would be made fully aware of the areas of our lives that we are grumpy and frustrated and bitter because we are disappointed in the station in which you put us. Help us to find contentment in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for being here this morning. We are, uh, we are going to uh, break up in about 10 minutes. Bible study will start. If you don't have one and you'd like to join into a discussion group about this stuff, we would love to introduce you to somebody. And uh, you can go have fun there. Thanks for being with us this morning, folks. Have a good afternoon. Some